My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What is cracking, Hope Nation? It is your friendly neighborhood, Kevin Hines. Today, I am joined by a man I look up to, a man who is an inspiration to all. His name is Dr. Corey Hicks. He is a speaker, a corporate trainer, an author, and a 20-year pharmaceutical professional. He's a former All-American decathlon athlete turned biotech medical director and has over 23 years of successful experience motivationally speaking. Dr. Hicks has inspired thousands nationally and internationally, and he certainly inspires me, and I know he will inspire you. Not to mention, he's a three-time NCAA All-American decathlete in a two-sport of track and field, former 1996 Olympic hopeful, a two-time author, and a 2009 Kentucky State University Sports Hall of Fame inductee. Ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor and give a warm welcome to the one and the only and the great Dr. Corey Hicks. Dr. Hicks, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I'm excited to be on your podcast today, so I greatly appreciate the uh, for you inviting me to come on the show. Well, we are lucky to have you, my friend. That's for sure. Doc, as they say in the comic book world, tell me a bit about your origin story. Where are you from? So I'm originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. So it's probably roughly right around 98 miles north of Atlanta. And I was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, it's a beautiful place. I call it a miniature Colorado Springs because it sits in a valley surrounded by the, the Lookout Mountain. So it's, uh, it's beautiful. And um, what was your childhood like? You know, can you tell me a little bit more about your, your upbringing? Yeah, so I, had, I have a total, I have twin sisters and I have an older brother believe it or not. So, and we had a great childhood. I mean, I, I grew up in Eastdale community or it's called Foxwood Heights. And uh, it was great. I mean, but it was competitive. It was challenging. I grew up in the inner city and, you know, growing up in the inner city comes with, you know, you have all kinds of challenges and obstacles and uh, adversities that you have to overcome. But it was great. It really, truly molded me. It made me into the person that I was. My father, he worked for a foundry for over 50 years. And so I got my work ethic from my father. My mother, she worked for this company called Cutter's Laboratory. So she worked there for a while until they closed down. And then, um, you know, she took other work elsewhere. But, you know, my father, you know, he was pretty much the person that he stayed, you know, on the same position for 45, 50 plus years. So when you talk about the worth of example and just hard work, working 15, 16 hours, a lot of that came. And my mother, too, I just got, I got my grit from my mother. So my mother was very stern. She said what she said and meant what she meant. And uh, she certainly was a disciplinarian. So we know that you were an incredible athlete through and through. And your athletic career, in a sense, started when you were just doing some tumbling with your friends. That's you, right. So tell us about where your athletic career started and how it changed your life forever. So it's interesting. You know, we used to, in my neighborhood, I mean, we would have what I call stunt tumbling. So we would take these tractor uh, inner tubes, the inside of the inner tubes, and we would blow them up, these tractor tires, and we would find mattresses and we would drag mattresses all around the neighborhoods and we would just battle each other. And I mean, and again, that's why I learned how to really, I, I guess a lot of the athleticism and everything that I have came from there, you know, from doing the summer styles, back tucks, 
jumping on a trampoline and being bike riding. I lived right on, on the bottom of the Missionary Ridge where the Civil War was fought. So my neighborhood was very hilly. So it was nothing to go running uh, miles within the neighborhood playing around as kids. But a lot of that really and truly helped me with the tumbling. So once I finally started playing sports in terms of football, track and field, basketball, a lot of people knew me for being able to jump out of the gym. When I went to the Olympic Training Center, initially back in the 1993, uh, I tested out at a 51-inch vertical. I had one of the highest verticals that had ever come through the Olympic Training Center. So it was, put it this way, the tumbling really and truly set a, a phenomenal foundation that I had no clue until I got older of how it really put me in a position to be successful. That's amazing. That's phenomenal. What sports did you love most in high school? Believe it or not, football. I was phenomenal in football. I was really good in football. And track was something that I just so happened to stumble into. Everybody knew that I was going to go to college and play football. I was a wide receiver and I was a uh, pass rushing defensive end. I think my senior year, I had 20 quarterback sacks in one year. So, uh, yeah, I was I was really good, you know, as a just explosive off of the line as a pass rusher. And again, I was great as a receiver, but football was my passion. I had played football since I was seven years old and track and field was something that, you know, I never even ran track in the summer. A lot of people used to do the summer track programs. I never did. The only time I ran track was, you know, when. Uh, during the school year. So I really and truly didn't see it as as the way I saw football in terms of passion and love, but it's just something that I stumbled into and I was really good at it. So when you get to college and you're you're in track and field and you're in, you're engaging in that, what does that feel like? What did that look like to you? And what were the next few years like? Um, it was unbelievable. I was a I was a junior college all American. So initially I was at Neosho County Community College and it was great. Uh, and that really and truly set me up for when I got to Kentucky State University. And you know, a person like me, I was naturally gifted. So the difference between, like I say, high school and college is that everybody, you got a lot of people that own scholarship and everybody is great. So the same work ethic that you, when you was in high school, had to be different as you stepped it up to another level. And I never forget, again, I was an All-American in junior college, then came to, uh, came to Kentucky State. And I remember, I think it was 1993 was the only year that I did not get All-American. And I was upset. Why? because I took a lot of things for granted. I didn't train as hard as I could have trained and I was on a bubble. I was on a provisional bubble. So you can qualify automatic, meaning you have an automatic standard that you hit and you automatically make it to the NCAA championships or you on the provisional, meaning they take a certain amount of automatic qualifiers and then they may take three or four provisional people, meaning you're right in the bubble. So I never forget, I'm, you know, I missed it. And I was walking back and that probably was one of the darkest times I ever had. I even had a priest stop me in the airport and said, son, do you have anything to smile about? And that's just, I guess, wow. you know, all the disgust on my face. But I wow. said, and I made a commitment to myself then and there. I said, that I will never place myself in a position like this again. And uh, my work ethic since then was impeccable. And, you know, it, I, it taught me a lesson, but I guess they say a ball lesson is a taught lesson. So <laughs> <laughs> did what that priest say to you in the, in the airport, did it, did it help in any way? Did it make any impact on you at the moment or were you, were you too far gone? Well, the fact that I remember it now, it did have a, you know, because I, I just didn't want to smile, smile about nothing. And I guess the look that I had 
on my face says it all or said it all. So when he saw me at the time, again, you know, sometimes you just pissed off, really. You don't even want to have conversation, but it always sat with me. And I never forgot what he said. The fact that I guess I don't know the look I had in my face, but he said, do you have anything to smile about? And yeah. I told him no, uh, because he didn't understand. He didn't know that, you know, what I had went through, but that really and truly made me grow as a person. It stretched me and it may, you know, and it let me see that whatever I want to do, you know, you can't do it half-heartedly. You got to 110% effort, regardless of whether or not you're naturally talented, because hard work beat talent when talent won't work. So I never forgot that. My dad always used to say hard work, Kevin, because nothing good ever came without it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But it's interesting about what that priest said, because as little as that moment was, as small as that moment was, you know, Usually people walk by people who are angry looking and they just keep walking. That's right. And he said something. And yeah. you can correlate that or liken it to what I personally experienced where I, I just, when I attempted to take my life uh, because of depression and mental illness by a way that is 98% fatal, I survived what I did. And all I wanted before I attempted was for one person to look at me and say, are you okay? And in a matter of speaking, he said that without saying it. So it's fa fascinating that he caught you at that moment. Not to say you were depressed or anything, but I'm just you know, connecting the two dots there. You're right. You know, you never know what a person is going through. And the fact that he even took time out to even acknowledge me and ask me that, you know, again, it resonated. And that's many years. That was 1993. And I never forgot it. The fact that he said it is still, you know, is implanted in my mind. So, yeah, that's good. <laughs> there, are, there are a few moments in our lives that we can correlate that make that kind of an impact because of what one person says in a, in a, in a, in a fleeting moment. We can count them probably on one hand. Tell our audience the story of you becoming an Olympic hopeful and what that was like. So I'm going to tell you, this, it had to be one of the most unbelievable experiences I'd ever had or experienced, you know, in my collegiate year. 1993 was when I first met this gentleman, Brooks Johnson. He was one of the top Olympic coaches in the country, well-respected, and uh, he was coaching at Cal Poly. So at the national championship, uh, I met him for the first time and he saw me after I competed. And I made All-American, but I think I made in the top eight. I still didn't do what I wanted to do, but he saw me. He said, you know what? You're the truth. He said, get your degree and I'm going to bring you out to California to train for the Olympics. Because again, you know, he had one of the areas of the, the teams, the Olympic teams out in the, uh, what we call the Central Coast Track Club that he was training. So I thought he was just telling me that to make me feel good. But in 1994, we came back again and I was... Again, winning the NCAA championship by 300 points. My pole vault poles was crushed. I was devastated. I lost 275 points going into the 1500. And then I ended up getting nudged out because I was just so dehydrated and depleted. So I ended up getting third place. And he came back to me again and he said, you are the truth. He said, I want you to come out and train with me. But at that time, I was like, well, you know, it's over with. I wanted to end my college career. I wanted to be the national champion. So now I'm just going to focus on uh, school. I mean, focus on being a school teacher because I had already accepted a position down in Broward County as a kindergarten teacher. So I ended up leaving, going down to Broward County. I was down there for maybe three weeks and I got the phone call from Brooks Johnson. And, uh, and I was like, wow, I'm teaching now. You know, so he had reached out to a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dr. Ken Gibson, and uh, he had told him that he was like, hey, I want Corey to come out and uh, train. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But a dear friend of mine, she's passed away since then. But a friend of the family, she said, Corey, most people only have gets a one in a, once in a lifetime opportunity to do that. You have to do it. 
So I was like, you sure? So I took a sabbatical from my job at that time. You know, I was uh, I was married and uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm going to walk away and leave. You know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I may never get a chance to do that. But me making that decision, Kevin, was the beginning of the rest of my life. And the experiences I had, the things that I learned, my willingness to be stressed, because when you go out there, sometimes you go out there thinking, you know, everything. And then now you're around all these Olympians. And these people are brilliant and great and you just like a sponge and you absorb them. But the beauty of it is, is that you have to pour everything out that you think you know and be willing to absorb from folks who are much better than you at what they do. And with the Decathlon, because it's 10 events, you have the opportunity to work with the best of the best in each event in each sport. So I, I was just like a sponge and I learned so much. And it was, I mean, it was unbelievable just the family environment and the things that I learned every day on the track with Brooks Johnson was just like being, it was just like being in a college classroom because he was a philosopher. He told you different things, you know, post-tetanus potentiation, the metabolic effect. You know, now here it is, I'm an exercise medicine doctor and I'm reading all of these things. And it's like, man, I didn't get that from a book. I remember learning it on the track with Brooks talking about post-tetanus potentiation and metabolic effect. So for me, that was like a year or two years of grad school, opposed to going back at that time and getting my master's degree, it was something that some people never get a chance to experience, but it really and truly impacted and changed my life. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, I guess my next question would have to be, have you ever been in a position where you experienced any kind of serious depression? You mentioned that you had a hard time after that that one track meet, but have you ever really experienced a clinical low? Yeah, I can tell you. The year that I was training, everything was going great. It was going the best that it could possibly go. And I was just in a tune-up meet. And this was at Cal State Stanislaus. And uh, we were just going out there. And you had Mike Smith at that time, who was the number one decathlete from Canada. Chris Huffins, who was a bronze medalist in the 96 Olympics. Myself, we were just going up there for a tune-up. And three steps out of the, the race, the first event, the 100, three steps out of the block, Kevin, I tore my quadricep muscle right off my kneecap. Oh. And... Here it is, everything that I worked hard for, everything. I mean, I was like, man, I finally made it. Now, remember, prior the year prior to that, my pole ball pose was crushed. So I lost the national championship and I was depressed from that. So I was like, I'm done with track and field. And then this opportunity presented. So here it is, I get right to the pinnacle, right to the point that I'm thinking I'm making it. And, you know, Brooks is saying, you know, hey, listen, this is going to be a stellar year for you. And then I tear my quadricep muscle. But at that time, I didn't realize that it was torn. I just saw a substantial, uh, like a, it was a dip in my leg, like a camel's dip. And oh. you had a lot of the, the women heptathletes. Man, I was hurting so bad. I wanted to cry, but I was just trying to hold it in. But I noticed something was wrong because my leg kept, you know, getting bigger because it was hemorrhaging because the muscle was oh, no. off the kneecap. So when they oh. finally drained my leg, it was just black blood. It was maybe like 10 tubes, 10 valves that they drained from my leg. And then that's when you just saw the indention. And then that's when it was really, really hit me. And, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't know how to respond. But what I started having, see, people knew nothing about panic attacks and anything like that about anxiety. But I was waking up feeling like somebody had put a straw in my heart and was trying to blow it up like a balloon. And I was waking up, grabbing my chest. So that happened. And then on the trails that I would run, we would normally do an easy two-mile run. 
all of a sudden I found myself gasping for breath, maybe uh, half a mile into the race. So I knew something was wrong. And then I ended up going to Palo Alto to Stanford and we did an MRI and come to find out I had a substantial tear. So after that, then emotionally, I got all of these things that are going through my mind. The only thing that helped me at that one time was that I had an opportunity to be the sports analyst for NBC Channel 3 News. So Chattanooga and Atlanta was very close to each other. And they had part of the Olympics just outside of Chattanooga. So Channel 3 reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in being a sports analyst, breaking down all of the events, would you be in the decathlon, decathlete? So that helped at that time really and truly ease my pain. Not the fact, you know, not to take in consideration my mother was going through cancer at that time. My mother was in stage three breast cancer. She had just going through chemotherapy treatments. She was coming in. She had lost all her hair. She was saying, I'm tired of it. I'm just going to give up. So I'm battling all of these things, trying to keep it together. And uh, at that time, man, Zynex was my friend. That was my best friend. That's the only way I could cope. At first, I just got to the point where I was taking a piece of it. And then it got to the point that I had to take just, you know, a whole one just to function during the day. And it just, it wasn't me. I was living in the fall, Kevin. I was, you know, there's a saying, say you can't be both pitiful and powerful at the same body. But once the Olympics was over with, I just kept reflecting back on everything that I had gone through. And I just like, look, I got to get myself together. So I made a decision. Uh, at that time, I told my mom, I said, listen, I love you, but you're going through what you're going through. I said, it's hard for me to be here because I'm like an empath. I'm absorbing everything that you're going through and I'm internalizing it along with the things that I'm going through. And I need to go back to Florida in order to get myself situated. And she's like, how are you going to make it? She said, I, I didn't even have that much money. I had, we had at that time, $300 to my name and $225 on a credit card. So I was like, listen, I took a sabbatical. They said they can't guarantee me a job, but I'm just going to go back down. So Everything we had, we put it on a six and a half by 11 foot trailer and we went back down to South Florida and we're down there for the first week. It was a bus, you know, nothing. And uh, we stayed at this little beach hotel for $25 a night. And if it was two people, it was going to charge $50. And the only reason I got it, because I told them that I had been on the Olympic hopeful team, the things that had happened. And so they gave me a discount. So between my my wife at that time, hiding in a room, uh, us eating soup and cereal and a delicacy was, uh, was McDonald's, you know, because we just didn't have the money. And lo and behold, the second week we was there, I had two interviews that was set up. The first one was for a kindergarten teacher that I went on the interview, did well, got the position, but then they wanted me to go and interview for the second position. That was for a fourth grade dropout prevention teacher. So I interviewed for that. And the principal that was at for the fourth grade dropout prevention a position told the other uh, principal that I declined that other job. So it's like, man, listen, here it is. I'm at the lowest point in my life. I'm going through something. Now you're going to put me in a room full of 28 kids with behavior problems. But, <laughs> but you know what? That turned out to be the best thing ever because they really and truly helped me to heal, Kevin. When I was going through, I was at my darkest moment. They loved me regardless of whether or not I got hurt, whether or not I had the injury. They loved me unconditional. They wanted to hear the stories. They wanted to hear about my experiences. And I guess God placed me into that position because it gave me an opportunity to heal. They was inner city kids that had been given up on, faced with so many challenges, uh, pre-primer level, meaning some of them was on a kindergarten reading level. But that year healed me, really and truly healed me. Probably, I just shared this story. The thing that I take from that is that I said, hey, listen, if you want them to look at you in a different manner, you got to do something that's unconventional. So let's do a play. 
But this play, you got to learn all of your parts. If you can learn rap songs, you can learn all of your parts. So I said, that's the only way we'll do it. I'm going to give everybody their part. Even one of my kids that spoke very little English and was on a pre-primer level, he was tiny Tim. The only thing he had to say was, God blesses everyone. So I'm like, listen, <laughs> everybody is doing it. Everybody has a part. So they went home over the weekend and lo and behold, they came back, Kevin, and they memorized everything. So every day from lunch, we would go and we would work on this play. And we would work on this play until almost Christmas came up. And when we put this play on, they shined. We made props in the room. And it was the best experience, period. All of those kids that was in my classroom, 80% of them were mainstream back into the regular classroom setting. And to me, Kevin, even though I didn't have an opportunity to fulfill my dreams, that was the beginning of Coach Corey, the person who could pour into individuals, who could take things that a travesty for me, you know, yeah, I didn't get a chance to make it to where I wanted to make it, but now I'm going to utilize my experiences to help push people into their purpose. And I think that's where the birth of what I do now started from. And again, that was one of the best experiences that really and truly helped to heal me. And I said, listen, I'm not taking another Zynex. I'm, if I got to do anything to get through the day, I, I'm not taking it. And I stepped away from it. I went cold turkey and uh, I hadn't looked back since. And I was able to self-talk my way through and heal myself through to being the person that I am. But I understand what it feels like to be depressed, to go through panic attacks and have anxiety disorders and things of that nature. I get it because I was there. And uh, it, it's not fun, I can tell you. An amazing part of your story, my friend. Just, it's so nice to be sitting here learning so much more about you. This is just so far been fantastic. My next question, Dr. Hicks, buddy of mine is what matters most to you this could be anything think think about the question in depth what matters most to you and who matters most to you well i'm a man of faith so i really and truly believe you know god definitely is the, the head of my life and you know that matters again and then the next thing will be my family you know my closest individuals to me but the biggest thing i want to say kevin is living out my purpose living out my vision walking in my destiny. And that's inspiring, encouraging individuals, using the unacceptable as motivation, being able to breathe light and share can and be candid and share stories with individuals. How, hey, listen, I'm, I haven't always been perfect. I've made mistakes. I've gone through trials and tribulations, but I was able to overcome these. And this is what I was able to do. And if I can do it, so can you. Mm -hmm. So again, I always say when I leave this earth, I want to leave empty. I don't want to leave with any gift, any talent that God has given me. I want to make sure that I exhaust everything so that he can say, well done, uh, your faithful servant. And that's it. I just, I live to, when I tell people to keep winning, you know, my tagline is keep winning. Anybody who follow me, I really and truly believe that. I want to see everybody win. I want to see everybody fulfill their destiny, their dreams and goals and whatever I can do that's in my wheelhouse. That's a part of my purpose and my mission to help push those individuals in the direction they need to go. I just want to make sure that I can fulfill uh, my obligation. So beautiful. How do you maintain mental balance, emotional wellness, and your physical fitness? You got to take time for yourself. That's the key thing. You know, some people are a jack of all and master of none. And, you know, I heard someone tell me this time, they said that, okay, hey, if you want me to do something, I don't mind doing it, but what you want me to take off of my plate? So one of the things that I learned is just, again, having balance, having a quiet time to myself, being able to 
pull away, get away from social media sometime, being able to have quiet time, being able to really and truly hear my thoughts clearly, you know, and, and sometimes it's tough doing that because we're being so much to everybody else, but you're not focusing on yourself. So that's kind of, you know, in a, in a nutshell, how I do that, how I keep my balance. So Beautiful. What is exercise science for those who don't know? How has your career in exercise science broadened your horizons? So I'm glad you said that because I look at exercise science as the new exercise medicine. Because people, for so long, we've talked about exercise as being something as voluntary as going jogging, but we never talk about the clinical benefits. We never talk about BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And how your body, your brain produces these neurons every time you exercise. So anytime you experience some type of trauma or damage to the brain, the brain can heal itself. I heard Dr. Gupta and he just wrote a book, uh, Sanjay Gupta, who's with CNN, and he just wrote a book. And he talks about how brilliant the mind is. And the brain, basically, every time you exercise and you work out, the brain lets the body know that it's still alive. So you have these endorphins, again, that are released every time you exercise that are good for mental focus, that are also good for mood, that also helps to cut down on anxiety. There are so many clinical benefits that I can go in and talk for hours about it, but that's what I want people to see, you know, to understand that it's not about physical education. It's about exercise medicine because there are things, there are uh, diseases and illnesses that you can reverse by just exercising, just taking proper nutrition uh, with antioxidants and things of that nature to really and truly improve your health. So, you know, that's what I would say about that to try to, to really and truly get the word out to let people see that uh, we're shifting from exercise science to exercise medicine because there are so many beneficial factors to it. That's fantastic. And I think everyone needs to know about that. If people want to find out articles you've written, best way is type in your name. Yes, you can go on my name and Google me, or I have a website, and my website is www.coachcoreyhicks.com. So there I have a lot of articles posted, but there's uh, quite a few things that I have that's currently out now, and I have some other things that's in the making as well. So tell us about your two books that you have. The first book is called Values, Vision, and Versatility. And it talks about in order to be successful, you have to possess all three core foundational values, vision in order to see yourself in a moment of greatness and versatility to be a chameleon, being able to adapt and adjust to any and all situations. And if you take one of those out of the equation, you have unsustainable power, meaning a person can have values and you can have vision, but if you're not versatile, it's going to be hard to adjust and adapt into this world. Or you can have versatility and you can have vision, but if you don't have core foundational values, your talents will take you places that your character can't keep you. Or you can have values and versatility, but you still have to have a sense of vision. So that's the first book. And it's uh, it's a covert. I call it a spiritual covert book. And it's followed up by the second book, Vision of Inspiration. So it's 60 days of motivational quotes and these are all of the quotes that really and truly just come from my heart. And as you can see on a day to day, on a, a daily basis, I really and truly pour out uh, my heart with these quotes and whatever I'm feeling or if it's something that I've gone through, I just, you know, I like to keep people encouraged by sharing inspiration and motivation on a daily basis. So, okay, my friend, we are almost at the end here. We're going to do the lightning round. So get ready. Lightning <laughs> round is I'm going to say, I'm going to say one word and you give me one word answers back. Uh, I would say one word. You tell me the the first thing that pops in your mind, and then we're going to wrap this bad boy up, okay? 
it's right. wonderful talking to you, Corey. Just <laughs> phenomenal. Okay, are you, are you ready? Yeah, I, I guess Three, I am. Three, two, one. The first word, truth. I, you know, passion of mine is just, there's truth, there's passion and truth, so. Got it. Giving. Um, abundantly. Caring. All the time. You have to be. Connected. Just a family bond, family atmosphere, I think is important for individuals to really and truly stay connected to loved ones and people they care about. Kindness. Uh, we don't have enough of it in this world. We need more of it. Yeah. Forgiving. It's a must. I think it's a must. You know, when we learn to forgive, you know, wow, can you imagine how beautiful this world could be when we stop holding grudges against each other? And uh, and again, we forgive the way, same way God forgave us. We forgive, you know, even our enemies, even people that have done us wrong. If we forgive them, man, this world will be a much better place. Hopeful. Um, I'm hopeful that within the next 10 years, th- that this world will begin to turn around, that people will become, uh, people will become very kind-hearted, forgiving, loving, caring, passionate about one another. Uh, I'm very hopeful that that happens. So. And no more hate, right? No, no more hate at all. No exactly. more hate. Last three words, humble. You got to stay humble at all times. Being humble really and truly will put you in a position to be successful. Yeah, sometimes pride comes before the fall. So the the more humble you are, the better you are to be able to listen to those things that's supposed to come your way to push you in your purpose. So patience. We can you can't have enough of it. I think patience is king. You certainly have to have patience. So last word, calm. Man. Uh I really and truly calm before the storm. Calm before the storm, meaning sometimes in life we may battle, we may go through so many trials and tribulations, but we always have to take a step, just take a moment just to calm ourselves, just to calm down your your mental intellect, the things that are going down, the anxieties, everything that sometimes may be speaking negative towards the situation. We have to calm down, quiet down everything so we can really and truly hear our next move and our next step. So. Mm. Thank you, Dr. Corey Hicks. We are greatly appreciative of your time here tonight. I want to end by saying to everyone listening and learning from this podcast, whatever you do tonight, be kind, be calm, be caring, be forgiving, be connected, be hopeful, be humble, be patient, and tell your truth and be here tomorrow. And every single day after that, you are valued, you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you for inviting me. Thank you. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to kevinhindstory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. <laughs>